The following show is about Uncharted 2. We will not be spoiling anything about this game, so no worries. Brought to you by the Game Reviews and Unified Gamers Network, you're listening to Big Red Potion, the podcast that chooses Elena. I'm your dashing host, Joe D'Elia, TGR's previous director, and not joining us this week is handsome rogue Sinan Kuba, who's unfortunately a bit sick at the moment. Though the fact that this happened right after Uncharted 2 landed in his eager fingers seems a little bit suspicious, but anyway. Joining me today are two of the finest guests to ever appear on Big Red Potion this week. First up, he's a ninja fat pigeon, as well as a fine host of the Gamer Scene Replay podcast. Zantiriad, how's it going, man? Uh, very well, thank you, and uh, thanks for that humbling introduction. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, sir. And you're enjoying a new Saturn, right? We were just talking about it before the show. Well, yeah, I love my new Saturn. Yeah, that was a that was a birthday present to myself. Ten years too late, but uh, I'm loving it. <laughs> Absolutely, Sega all the way. Next up is the man whose mustache has wormed its way into many of our hearts, TGR and Portland's own Jeffrey Madeleff. How's life in the fast lane, J-Man? Uh, life is very, very good right now. Uh, you have to excuse me, my mm. voice is a, a bit coarse this week. I was out partying a lot. Uh, former Big Red Potion guest Steve Haskey had his birthday the other day, and we went Ooh. bar hopping all night, and my voice is still recovering from that. <laughs> well, a happy belated birthday to Steve, absolutely, from everyone in the Big Red Potion universe. Um, Portland's a party town then, huh? It, it is. It's odd. It, I've, I'm from here, and it took me forever to even discover that about it, but... Yeah, since moving into the party district, it is definitely party town. Get more action down there than I am. That's that's pretty impressive. You got to come down here sometimes, Joe. You too. <laughs> I know it's your favorite city in America. Oh yeah, I've been there twice. I love it. Yeah, I'll I'll be there in a flash. Wow, I am missing out by being in New York. Everything you've heard about New York, people, not true. All right, so today's show is all about Naughty Dog's sensational sequel, Uncharted 2: Among Thieves. Now, now that we've all had the chance to beat the game, well, except me, I'm on the last chapter. We know that handsome devil Nathan Drake tries to stop a madman from triggering an ancient evil. And I'd like to get everyone here's thoughts about it. The good, the bad, the presentation, the gameplay, and everything else in between. But to start, I figured we get a little history from our guests about what they know about the Uncharted series. So, Jeff, did you play and enjoy the original Uncharted? Yes, I, I played the original. I liked it, but seemingly not as much as the rest of the world. I, mm. I, I thought it was basically... a a fairly good third-person shooter, and that was about it. It was really marketed as being like this this new Tomb Raider-type franchise, but it really wasn't anything like Tomb Raider. It was basically Gears of War in Tomb Raider's clothing. It had a little bit of, of puzzles and platforming, but it was maybe a fifth of that game. So, you know, I, I still really enjoyed it for the, the characters, the script, the animations, and, you know, it was a fun shooter. It just, it didn't really, it wasn't very memorable to me. You know, it was a fun sure. rental, and I haven't really had much desire to go back to that one. Okay. What about you, Zam? What do you think? Oh yeah, I I enjoyed it a lot. Um, kind of have similar views to it, really. I mean, I'm I'm the sort of person that I can play a game that has fairly mediocre game mechanics or and flash, you know, and, and lots of good graphics, providing it has a really good story and a really compelling narrative that draws me into the world. And mm. I think that's what in the first Uncharted definitely had that. And um, I. When I was making some notes for the podcast, the thing I wrote down was what uh, Jeffrey just said there, really, was that it was Gears of Tomb Raider. It was basically just a, a 
a series of ridiculously hard at times kill rooms um, sort of broken up by having the odd climbing puzzle and right. um, but I, I could forgive it all that because the the quality of the the writing and the quality of the the narrative was such that uh, you, you, you kind of let it off you kind of just you, it's like going to watch a dumb action film you go along for the ride and if it's funny and witty and and interesting too then all the better really sure yeah that, that kind of mirrors my sentiments on the first one I, I really enjoyed it I thought it was a great game but I found myself really enjoying it mostly because of the little uh, storyline scenes the dialogue between the characters that kind of stuff the shooting was a little bit frustrating and the the, the platforming was great but there just wasn't enough of it so um, but I mean again if you had asked me uh, you know a month ago what my favorite PlayStation 3 game was up until this point I would probably say Uncharted because I it really it won me over now, um, a couple of years later, Uncharted 2 is at the PlayStation 3, much improved by, uh, at least by what reviews have said of it so far. Um, so, Zen, what about the gameplay of, of Uncharted 2 has caught you so far? Do you, do you think it's much improved over the first one? It's, it's definitely an evolution. Um, I was uh, having sort of several Twitter threads going on today, sort of talking about elements of it, um, where, you know, some people are part of the way through and I've now finished it. And um, I'd say, compared to the first one, the difficulty spikes are less obvious, um, but they they are still there. There's certainly one or two moments where you're sort of throwing the controller around and thinking, well, what the hell am I supposed to do? And certainly a couple of events, which, you know, obviously I won't, won't say they are, but I actually got through them on about the sort of 10th attempt, and I have no idea how I did. It just sort <laughs> of suddenly, for some reason, I didn't die, and it worked. Right. So, so um the first game had those same problems as well. So I think in terms of the the structure, some of the, the gameplay issues that were in the first game are still there, but they're much rarer, and um, I would say, on the whole, the, the balance between the difficulty and the balance between the combat and the puzzles is much better this time around. It much seems feels to me much more fluid, much more much sure. better f- uh, sort of thought, thought through. And you mentioned structure also. The game's structure has actually changed quite a bit, where it's there's much... Not to say there's less shooting this time, but there's definitely a lot of stuff in between the shooting this time that, that varies it up quite a bit. Um, I'd say it's roughly the same. I think you're right, the pacing seems to be better, so you, there aren't sure. the sort of really long battles that you had in the first one. But, I mean, the first one you had the jet skis, and you had you had a, hmm. which, you know, broke up the action, and you had another, I think you had a, another scene where you were in a, driving a truck or a jeep. Yes. Yeah, right. so, um, as you would expect, similar things like that occur in Uncharted 2 to break up the action, but... Yeah, definitely. And there was never a point where I was thinking, God, I've been stuck in this one area for so long now, and I've been shooting these same guys for 20 minutes and I'm still no further. You never got that, which you certainly did in the first one. Sure. What about you, Jeff? What did you think about it, the second one so far? Uh, I loved it. It was a very big surprise for me. <laughs> I, I, I criticized the first game for being too much of a shooter, and the shooting ratio is almost the same in the second. There's a little bit less of it. But the shooting itself is so much better because I'm a big fan of platformers, and the first one had platforming sequences in between the shooting, but the second game does a really great job at incorporating the two at once. So as you're fighting during these very vertical arenas where there's lots of places to climb, lots of cover to seek, and it, so, so as a result, the whole thing just feels much more intuitive that way. I also thought it, it had a really bizarre pacing and in a, a way that I appreciated. The first game had quicker pacing. It would go from you know shooter, platforming, shooter, platforming very quick, which is generally what people look for in a game. And Uncharted 2 has a really unique approach to it 
where there was a point about midway through the game where I'd basically been in a series of kill rooms doing doing lots of shooting for I, I didn't time it, but I'm gonna say probably close to 90 minutes, you know, upwards of an hour, and I was starting to get kind of a little tired of it. I'm like, okay, it's becoming a little too much of a shooter now. And just when I thought that, I got to a series where your guns are stripped away, and there's it becomes very, um, very plot heavy, and that's followed by one or two very lengthy platforming chapters. And you essentially go about another 90 minutes without firing your gun at all. There's just no mm. combat whatsoever. I think you guys, you know, you're far enough in the game, you know exactly the, the long sequence I'm talking about. And for a while, you, you almost forget that the game is going to be a sh- that the game is essentially a shooter or has a major shooting component to it. Because you just, it, it really gives each aspect of the gameplay its due. You know, it really immerses you in that. So I... It kind of reminded me quite a bit of a Kojima game, notably Metal Gear Solid 4, how that game, you know, starts out a stealth game, and the whole second half of it just has one really odd sequence after another, to the point that, you know, a lot of people complained that it didn't have enough of the core mechanic, and I kind of felt similarly about Uncharted 2, but not in a bad way, like, just when you get kind of sick of one thing, it would become a shooter, and I thought it was you know, vastly, vastly improved and from the first game. That's really interesting because you're not the first person I talked to that actually compared it to uh, Metal Gear Solid 4. Because, uh, I mean, there's really is a parallel here between these two games. They're very, both very cinematic in, in many ways, but I think Uncharted actually does a better job of integrating those cinematics into the gameplay. For like in uh, Metal Gear, every time you'd go through, you know, you do a shooting scene and then you'd watch a 30-minute cutscene. But in Uncharted 2, they really, um, they... One of the things I like about it the most is that they made a lot of the cutscenes completely playable. So there'll be the scene like where stuff is being blown up around you. Like the, in the E3 demo, they showed off a scene where this helicopter is chasing you through a city, and uh, Drake is jumping from from collapsing building to, to collapsing building as he escapes from the helicopter. And most games that would have been a quick time event or a cutscene or something like that. But in this game, you're actually doing it. You're the camera's shifting positions to show you what's going on in the background while you're doing these jumps, while you're taking out these guys. They do a great job of integrating everything together in this one. And I think in that way, it's it's similar to Metal Gear in that there's a ton of stuff going on at all times, but it's more successful in the way that it executes it. The combat gives you many more options than the first game. Uh, mm. and you, you mentioned the stealth, and I don't think I'm giving too much away because the very first level in the game has sort of um, stealth melee combat, which you had in the original sure. as well, actually. Um, but you can actually, throughout the entire game, um, most of the kill uh, rooms, you can actually approach from a stealth point of view. Um, or, you know, and actually, if you want to, rather than going in guns blazing, you can try and pick them off one by one. Uh, and I certainly did that. I mean, I, lo- I was looking at the stats because the game keeps just thousands of st- statistics that you can look up, mm. and it tells you how many hours you spent in cover and how many hours you spent climbing, and and it, you know how many kills you had that were stealth kills and stuff. And my stealth kill stat was massive. I think I must have killed something like two or three hundred people that way. I found the the sort of melee combat and the stealth combat and it really good. Um, it reminded sure. me a lot of. Um, the Born Supremacy, um, or was it Born Conspiracy? I can't remember. Conspiracy, which, yeah. Yeah, which one it was, which also had really good um, melee combat, which uh, in many ways, you know, I kind of prefer um, with these sort of games because, you know, the kind of Indiana Jones style of the game, you watch Indiana mm. Jones, most of the, he doesn't do a great deal of shooting, you know, most of the stuff he does does is mano a mano, isn't it? So, 
I kind of like the way that you could actually tackle each level that way and the actual melee combat in it is really good it's really solid and um, uses a lot of sort of um, combos and counters um, which you wouldn't expect you know in, in what is predominantly a, a shooter sure and in a similar way they integrated a lot of the platforming into the shooting mechanics too where I think Jeff mentioned this briefly where you can um, like each arena kind of has multiple levels to it and if you of course you could just stay on the bottom and just shoot things you know from behind cover or you can totally climb a wall behind you get up to a better vantage point find weapons up there because they hide things everywhere in this game and get this completely different perspective on the battle using Nathan's unique skill set which I really appreciated and I always looked for the special areas to climb up to and to find because it, it made the fight so much more interesting yeah I especially enjoy pulling the the guy's legs away so when you're sort of <laughs> hanging down and you wait for him to walk past and he kind of reaches up and grabs the guy and pulls him over sure. I, just, I just love doing that it just you know it just felt very uh, just felt right for this type of game you know because he, he, he often when he does that he gives a little quip as well like you know we'll see you later and enjoy the view as the guy goes flying over the cliff you know so it's just really really good there's lots of that in it as well there's lots of um sort of uh, throwaway comments that are made by all of the characters when you're playing it that are again like you said it just adds texture uh, and adds to the story and, and the, the the kind of relationships between the characters as well and they're just slipped in here and there you know you'll you'll do there was one scene where i was in a uh, i was in a city uh, and there's a, a swimming pool and i thought oh i'm just going to do something stupid and climb up there and jump in the pool and actually that then generated a whole line of dialogue between the two characters for about the next two minutes um, you know, which if you hadn't have done that, you wouldn't have even, you know, wouldn't have, wouldn't, you wouldn't have even uh, seen it. So it's there's there's a lot of detail, a lot of layering to the game. Sure, it's much like the recent Prince of Persia game where there was very little cutscenes, but most of the dialogue and the story and the characters even came out through the, the little dialogue that would happen as you were jumping around and and doing. It. And I really appreciate that because I mean, you know, gaming is interactive medium. Putting halts on you to watch this cutscene to explain something isn't as successful as the way Uncharted does it, where these characters are interchanging things while they do their, their moves, while they shoot, while they do this and that, and it adds a lot to each of the characters. Yeah, I think actually mentioned Kojima. I think Kojima could learn a lot from this and how to actually do storytelling and dialogue because there is virtually no exposition. There's mm. there's no verbosity. There's no, there's no codec <laughs> to have 20-minute <laughs> conversations to explain two things. You know, it's... It, 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 at no point do you ever look at it and think oh, I'm being lectured out or am I, I'm you know I'm being patronised to explain what's going on. You just know what's going on because the storytelling is just so good. Right, right. And would you agree with all this, Jeff? Did you appreciate the way the story was told? Oh, definitely. I thought um, the very beginning of the game is especially interesting. Uh, for those who haven't played it, I don't think I'm going to give away too much by saying it. It's told in a non-linear fashion. It, um, you know, it starts with the cover of the game basically with Nathan on the train in a very dangerous situation and we keep getting flashbacks to what happened before and you know th this happens for a while it's not just the first chapter and it kind of keeps toggling back and forth it's not just you know one quick flashback level and then bam he's there it kind of teases us all along to figure out how he got into the situation and I thought that was really cool um, you know Zan brought up the the dialogue that occurs in game and i just thought about it now a, a vast majority of the game nathan is with another character and there's, sure. there's a, quite a big cast of other characters and there's chloe and um elena which we've all seen in the trailers by now is is going to be in the game um you know Sully's back there's a new guy flynn and 
and there are others that I, I don't want to give away that are, are very interesting. And they, they do such a great job at developing the relationships between Nathan and these characters very largely through the gameplay, through the dialogue that occurs as, you know, as we're going through this. I mean, in, in, just to illustrate that point, there's actually one character who doesn't speak any English. Mm. And uh, for about probably maybe an hour and a half, two hours in the game, you know exactly what the relationship is between the two characters, and yet one of them can't speak a word of English. You know, and it's that's just just how well it's it's done and how well thought through it is. I mean, the uh, I don't know who, who their scriptwriters were, but um, you know they they put Hollywood to shame with with the, with the quality of some of the the writing and the the set pieces. What's well, the thing? Like the writers that they picked for this game obviously knew that they were writing for a video game. It's not like Ghostbusters, for example, where they basically wrote a movie script and slapped that into a game. Here, it was very clearly written to be this, to be interactive, to have all these little segments, like you said, the, the pool sequence, where that little extra dialogue comes in if you jump in the pool. That stuff is specifically written for a video game, and I think that they adapted whatever story they come up with extremely well. And as you said, there was a scene, uh, there's a lengthy scene where you have a companion that doesn't speak English. That is brilliantly done. Because during this time, you know, Nathan is kind of trying to communicate with this person, and it, it's it's portrayed extremely well. You get a feel exactly for each of, what each of these characters are thinking based on their body language, based on the way they react, based on the little hand motions that they do. It's all that little stuff, the little touches that I don't think most of the games would even think of or care to do even to get the story across that makes Uncharted 2 so special. You know, Eco did it five years ago and it took this long for anyone to rip it off and do it just as well. <laughs> The other thing with the, the non-English speaking character is that um, certain aspects of that relationship are quite emotional as well. And again, it's all completely controlled uh, in in engine, in game. Uh, you know, as you're playing it, like you said, you know, it's uh, it's, it's, a, it's a considerable achievement. And you, you can look over all the um, the slight faults with the game, just in awe of the quality of of, of the storytelling and the characterisation of it. Without going into any specifics, the levels in Uncharted 2 are very different than the levels you would see in most other games. Instead of being a, a boring, you know, say, uh, underground sewer, if, uh, there is one of those in this game, but uh, <laughs> instead of being like these plain, boring industrial environments, Uncharted 2 I, almost entirely takes place within nature or within... Um, you know, villages within nature, within very colorful, very open environments, very, you know, very Indiana Jones-esque scenarios. And I wanted to know what you guys thought about the, the design in the levels and the, uh, the areas that you get to see in this game. I, I think that they were very well done. I mean, I, I've i generally been a fan of, of games that take place in very remote locations, you know, Metroids and Tomb Raiders, just because character interaction is something that's always kind of been a, a bit of a bugbear in in video games, if you have a lot of characters around, like in a Grand Theft Auto game or Fallout 3, sure. they, they may say something, but it feels kind of false. Um, you know, so I largely like that you you feel like you're in all these places that nobody has has ever been to before. And uh, although my the one time I noticed it being a, a little off there was in Nepal, the, the first half of the game. I know we've seen a lot of trailers in the, the Nepal section. We never see any civilians there. Granted, they do say that you know, it's a war-torn area and that the, the main villain has his mercenaries there. It's, it still felt a little odd that the entire place is abandoned, but I, I didn't care that much about that. To be fair, I think they made up for that later when they take you to a different village that's full of all the little townspeople that are walking around, and they're all living out their lives within this small remote town, and you kind of get to see and interact with them in a very unique way, which I appreciated. 
By the way, there's an achievement for petting yaks. So for those who have not played it, yeah. you get to pet yaks <laughs> in this game. Uh, I hit the soccer ball. I did not pet the what yaks. About you, Sam? Well, I, again, I d- um, most people who know me know that I'm, I'm not a huge fan, really, of, of shooters. And, uh, and uh, I particularly like this for the fact that the environments aren't all this sort of grey, muddy brown, you know, sort of testosterone-filled, grim <laughs> battlefield, you know, which which most, to be honest with you, mo- the majority, certainly in next-generation games on, on the, well, sorry, uh, HD games on, on the PS3 and, and the uh, Xbox 360, they're plagued with, there's so many now, you know, things like Killzone, for example, just made me sick, it was just, just this grey mass of nothingness, mm. um, and this is just glorious technocolour, you know, it's like uh, um, the 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 level of color saturation is is just so intense. It's like the kind of um, you know those those Technicolor films of the fifties where they just threw color at everything. You know where sure. everything is sort of super vibrant, super vivid, and it and it works perfectly well because the 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 countries they set it in, as you said, Nepal, which is um, uh, would be a very grey, dull, desolate place if it wasn't for the color injected by humanity there. You know, and the Nepalese culture is all about brightly coloured clothing, flags. Um, brightly coloured buildings, and it and it really shines out when you play in the game, um, and I, I I really welcome that. And uh, a lot of people have mentioned, you know, how, how great the graphics are, and I, I, you know, I tend to agree. But I'm really not that bothered, but the the level of detail in the and in the art is phenomenal. You know, mm. there's there's one area um, about halfway through the game, um, which is really a hub, and you don't really do anything there. You just walk through it, and there's a cutscene, and then you walk out the other side. But it's huge, and if you walk around and just look at the things like um, I spent ages looking at, um, there were a load of um, pillars with sort of ornaments on top, and I spent ages just looking at each pillar. And each one was unique, every <laughs> single detail and every texture on it was unique. I even sort of ran around the the area to try and find repeated textures, and I couldn't find any. <laughs> the, I, they must have had an army of artists just creating every object and every. Uh, environment in the game. It's just it's just incredible the level of detail they've achieved. There's a, a city about a couple levels into the game where it's it kind of reminded me of the cities from Assassin's Creed where it's you know kind of a rundown, very old style. Um, but you have to climb this high building, and you get to look around when you get up there. And a, it's completely breathtaking. Everything is intricately modeled, and there's these little details like you see one of the buildings in the distance is on fire. You see there's a gunfight happening at a different building in the distance. Like all these crazy little things that I almost expected to spend the next five levels in this location because, you know, they had detailed so much of it. Yet that was it. That was the end of that area, and then they went on, moved on from there. It was literally just put there to create this real interactive environment city that that you know is living and breathing and stuff is happening even though it doesn't relate to you and i appreciated the level of detail that they put in yeah it's, it's just uh well like i said it's, it's it's breathtaking at times you know mm. it's not often you can say that the visuals in the game take your breath away and it's not because they're you know particularly uh you know high res or or, right. or, or technically superb it's just the, the level of artistry and, and and sort of uh almost cinematography that's been used sure um I mean, that, that city one, I did the same. And um, the interesting thing, what I was looking for is what you do in most games, is you look to see how far away the buildings are no longer um, polygons. They're, they're a matte image. Because sure. what a lot of games do is they cheat, don't they? So they have a, a matte image right. in the background which has painted buildings on it, effectively. And I honestly, looking as far as you could see, 
the buildings that were furthest away, sort of at the edge of the hills, they had flags flapping on them. So you could you could instantly tell that there were actual there were like little tiny polygons even for those tiny little buildings at the back there. So um, yes, yeah, it certainly punches above its weight in, in in that way. And what's you know also uh, astonishing is there's no install and there's there's very little load times as well. Uh, and I didn't notice all the usual masking of load times. You know the, the usual trick of having a corridor that zigs and zags all over the place. Um, while it's actually loading the next area, I didn't really notice that a great deal either. So it's um, whatever they've, whatever Sony and uh, Naughty Dog have done with the tech, they've done something that no other game has managed to do on the on the PS3. One thing I thought was really impressive: there was a sequence in the game on a train, hoping that's not going oh, yeah. too much. And I don't know how I felt like it was taking me a long time to get through this area. And I did not see a background repeat the entire time. Because you know it's got to be on a track. Otherwise, you know, you could just, you know, wait long enough and get to your destination. But you have to, you know, fight your way through the train. And they do such a great job at, at masking the tech that you're, you know, really on a track and that you actually have to, to make your way through it to progress the plot. But it, it really felt like everything was happening in real time. They, they really... <laughs> To say that, you know, games have had scripted elements for, for some time now where they put these little things that happen while you play to make it a little bit more visually interesting, but the, the level of detail and attention that they put into those here of having little things happen in the environment while you're playing, like instead of just running down a corridor, you're running down a corridor that's exploding while these guys are falling through the ceiling and attacking you, and Nathan is throwing some kind of smarmy remark out while it's all happening. They They really make it... You know, the commercial that's airing on U.S. television right now is is a girlfriend watching her uh, boyfriend play the game and thinking that they're watching a movie. And I honestly think that that situation could happen in real life, based well, on what I put here. I can tell you, it has, it's already happened, because my wife sat and watched me play four and a half hours of it on, <laughs> uh, on Friday afternoon, yeah. So, um, yeah, you, you can definitely watch it as a movie. So... Let's talk about Nathan himself a little bit. Uh, Nathan has kind of been you know, thrown to the forefront by you know, the media and also by us here on Big Red Potion as being a unique character, a special character that, um, that has that extra oomph that most other video game characters don't have. And I, I think that in this game they did an even better job of, of making him uh, stand out from the, the pack, the, other, the, uh, the, the Killzone 2 protagonists and the, the Master Chiefs and the Coles of the world. So what do you guys think about Nathan um, and the way that Naughty Dog presents him within this game? Um, I was actually talking to, to uh, you know, Steve Haskey the other day about we were comparing Drake to Indiana Jones. And I'm a huge Indiana Jones fan. Raiders is one of my all-time favorite films ever. In some ways, I actually like Nathan Drake better. Hmm. And I, th I think they have a very a somewhat different personality that fits their time period. You know, Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones was very deadpan. He wasn't a more serious character. He was still very funny, but it was a different kind of funny. Like, Harrison Ford got a lot of mileage out of his, his scowl and just kind of taking uh he didn't really see the humor in these situations but we would see it looking at him whereas nathan is is far more of a hero for the 20th century he like i said he has a much greater sense of humor he's he's not nearly as stoic and and i think that that's just very fitting for the time period and for the audience and makes him you know one of the most interesting action heroes of any medium recently I yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, I actually think the inspiration for him comes from something somewhere else. I think it, it's I think he's based on um, on Dirk Pitt 
from Clive Kuzler's novels. Um, if you've seen the film Sahara, that's the the character yeah. in that film. Again, he's very similar. He's um, kind of reluctant. He's almost like an anti-hero, really. He's a, he's a reluctant hero. Again, he's also a kind of collector of rare antiquities. And um, he also has a kind of crew with him in a very similar way in that he has a... Um, I can't remember the guy's name now, but he has someone similar to the... Oh, what's the guy's name in Uncharted? I forgot. Sully, isn't it? He has a character similar to Sully who's always backing him up and is really his conscience and also his kind of mentor, if you like, a kind of father figure. Um, and again, he would normally in most of his books he has a, a female accomplice or a you know, woman who takes part in his adventure. So I, I, can, I actually think that's probably the the real source of the, um, the inspiration for Drake. But, but you know, he, he really is a, an amalgamation of lots of different characters. But I think the thing that makes him stand out the most is that um, he feels real because he doesn't want to be there half the time. You, you get that sense that, um, particularly with some of the quips he makes, he, you know, he, he, he feels like he's a victim of circumstance for most of the time. And that's very different from most video game characters. Um, in most games, the hero is the hero. It's very cut and dried. The hero is there to save the world and do this and do that and rescue the princess or do whatever he has to do, kill the locust. But in the Uncharted games, he really has one agenda, and that's to make money. And about a quarter of the way through, he then gives up and thinks, "I've had enough of this. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna piss off home because this is just too, too, too bad. I'm gonna leave these people to do what they want." And he kind of gets drawn more and more into it, not through what he's trying to do, but through circumstance. And I think that makes him very real because it's something that we, we can see in all of us. Often we find ourselves in situations we don't want to be in, um, and we may enjoy it and we may not, but we're there through circumstance, and for better or worse, we kind of grind on and get on with it. And I think it's very easy to relate to that, whereas, you know, with some of these, like Marcus Phoenix, I mean, how can you relate to that? It's a, just a, it's a moron. <laughs> you know, he's just, no human being is like that. Um, whereas Drake, I think a lot of men would, could see themselves in that, in that character. But to be fair, Marcus Phoenix has a gun with a chainsaw on it. That's really all the motivation you need. <laughs> I think if you guys played on Infamous a while back, um, that game, the, the protagonist had a very clear uh, motivation, and it was an interesting one. It was, uh, it was a little bit different from the thing. And I think this one also follows the same path. It, it keeps your interest by giving you some familiar elements and giving you a reason to like this guy uh, for the most part. But, you know, it's not just the same save the princess, as you said, kill the bad guy type of thing. And I actually, uh, speaking of the princess, the, character, the female characters in this game, um, I think they're a step above most other game females too, especially... Uh, one of them in particular is, you know, she would be the character that you would have to save, I assume, at the end of this game. And it's not really like that. She's actually, you know, hand-in-hand hand with you the whole time, duking it out and fighting guys. And uh, so I was wondering what you guys thought of Elena and Chloe as, as female protagonists, and as just in females in video game in general. Um, well, I, I completely agree. I think they're, they're very strong female leads. Um, in particular, Chloe is um, knows exactly what she wants to do and what she's after and, and, and makes it quite plain. Uh, at several points, you know, and I, it, yeah, it's um, I, the the difficulty is I think that a lot of a lot of games are designed with adolescent males in mind, and, and we all know that that demographic is isn't the case. It's like you know, forty five percent of games players today are female, um, sure. and and I think um, we're starting to see more and more that we are getting really good strong female characters. I think Bioware are actually pioneers of that. I've yet to play a Bioware game where I did where the, it didn't have strong female characters. 
and and this one in particular does it, it really and by providing two you get two different sides of the female character uh, the, the kind of um, the female psyche as well don't you because you get one who's very driven quite selfish know what she's after uh, is portrayed as a bit of a sex kitten and then you've got the other one who's again determined is is um, but is also trying to do the right thing and is much more sensitive to what's what's going on around them and I think that again is is brilliantly done and, and, and it's something that humanises the characters which means that you can relate to them just as much as you can relate to Drake um, so yeah I, again it's it all, at the end of the day I think it all comes down to the quality of the, of the writing and, and the writing of this game is exceptionally mm. good I, I agree with Sam there I thought both female characters were absolutely fantastic I I thought the love triangle was done very well too because both women you know as Anne said they're 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 different but you can understand why Drake is interested in both of them them and why they're both interested in him he uh, I, I like that you know Elena is just basically just the more idealistic one and Chloe is more of a realist and they do a lot of interesting things with Chloe in particular I wouldn't say I necessarily liked her, her better, but I think that just the way that she's portrayed is very interesting because you kind of go back and forth on her throughout the entire game. There are sequences in that game where you just, you really hate her. And, and the I really like the the relationship between the two females themselves, not just with Drake, because they, you know, they start out not really liking each other at first and kind of, you know, as I said, the player goes back and forth with Chloe just as Elena does, and you know, the whole time you're playing, you're kind of wondering what, whether they'll ever come to some kind of reconciliation or if they're going to hate each other by the end or how, mm. how that's going to play out. I, I also think the, uh, again, to sort of play up to the the genre stereotypes, they have Drake throwing quite a few sort of um, sexist comments at various points. So, uh, <laughs> you know, done as a joke. But uh, again, you know, the, 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 they're very wise to it because they... Um, they give the females the characters even better dialogue to come back at him at. You know, some of the comments that Chloe comes out with in particular are really biting and really, really, really funny. Um, which again mm. is unusual. You know, it's it's not something you see in a in a in a video game. Um, so, I mean, you, you mentioned um, uh, Jeffrey mentioned earlier about Indiana Jones films being a big fan. I, I'm a huge fan of those films, and in many ways. Um, uh, the, the 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 two female characters remind me of Marion from Raiders of the Lost Ark in that she was very similar in that she was both vulnerable but also determined and also was a very strong character so she wasn't just this sort of you know weak uh, heroine she was actually far more than that and and that sure. definitely you have that in this game when they initially unveiled this game it was uh, Drake and Chloe and people didn't know about Elena. And I was kind of against that because I thought Elena was a really great character in the first game. And it was just playing to the old conventions that in every new adventure, the, <laughs> the, the male hero had to have a new girlfriend. Like in every James Bond movie, every Indiana Jones film, until the, the most recent one where they brought back Marion. And I'm like, you know, that doesn't strike me as, you know, as Drake-like. So uh, I, my fav one of my favorite lines in the entire game was when you meet up with Elena and she introduces herself to Chloe, and she calls herself last year's model. Just, just <laughs> such a great biting quip at at the maturity of of the genre, and I loved how they sidestepped it 
and you, the whole tech game, you're not really sure where he's going to go, because he, he does have a good chemistry with Chloe, too, and it's, and the whole time you're kind of wondering what happened between uh, Drake and uh, Elena since the last game, and I don't want to give away too much, but they never really spell it out in detail, but you can kind of gauge the relationship very well from how they meet up in this game. And, and again, it, it sort of humanizes the characters, because people in real life wouldn't mention it <laughs> if you mm-hmm. you know if, if if you're with your partner and you meet an ex-girlfriend the last thing you're going to start doing is going into 10 minutes of exposition about how you broke up you know people just well, don't I, do that I, I mean like they could add a scene where like elena and, and drake are in private quarters talking about what happened but i'm glad that they didn't have that scene yeah it just wasn't necessary it's it's, it's really great that they, they they chose to do it this specific way and i, I love them for it um, so we've kind of been throwing just hearts at this game for the last hour. Um, is there anything about it that you guys didn't appreciate as much? Is there any uh, flaws that, that kind of bugged you enough to be worth mentioning? There's one I really want to get off my chest, and I don't think anyone else has mentioned this yet, yet but it's the um, it's the, the absent-minded antiques dealer that seems to have walked across half the world um, dropping his antiques everywhere. Um, <laughs> now, I know that most games put collectible items in effectively to lengthen the gameplay and also to add replay value but for me they 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 drew me out of the world um, you know it, occasionally I'd find myself kind of looking for them and I didn't really want to be looking for them, I just wanted to be getting on with the story mm. and then I'd find them and I'd think well why would this be here? <laughs> Who would put this here? <laughs> why would it fall here? How could it get here? You know and, and, it, and, and it's at that moment that it it sort of reminds you that you're playing a game and not, you know, watching a great action movie or whatever it is. It just it sort of made the game feel gamey, and I didn't really like it for that. I'd have preferred it to have, which it does have actually, a kind of plus mode, uh, like you did, like you get in Resident Evil, where you play mm. through again and then maybe have the collectibles when you go through a second time. I'd have preferred that than to have them there. Like I said, this antiques dealer that's been wandering across the wilderness, just scattering his stuff everywhere. Jeff, you just wrote about something very similar to this with Batman, right? Uh, yes, yes, I did. And uh, actually, first, Joe, I want to hear your take on the, the collectibles, because we, we also disagreed about the collectibles in Shadow Complex, where I felt like they um, it, it was sort of uh, padding this in and mentioned this on the, on the previous episode. How mm. I, I didn't... I guess for me what it comes down to is I have nothing against collectibles if I feel like they are fun in and of themselves to find. And in the case of, of, say, Shadow Complex, I didn't because a lot of the time there was a very, very simple solution to get them. There would just be, like, a barrier that's red, and you just need a specific item to break it open and then pick it up, and that was it. Whereas a game like, like some of the more recent Tomb Raiders, particularly Anniversary, each individual uh, collectible is very... It had a certain puzzle associated to it as you ha- try to figure out you had to, like, suss out how to get to this thing, and some of them were very, very tricky, and they rewarded it themselves. I didn't really care much about it. It was, you know, concept art and extra bonuses, but I, I really enjoyed the, the act of finding it. Here, I, I had a very odd reaction to the collectibles here. I... Okay, so let me backtrack a bit. In Batman, I felt like they, they did dissuade from the story quite a bit, because I, I enjoyed... I really did enjoy finding them, but the game also had a really quick-paced, uh, well-told stories. So I felt like they were at odds with each other, as Zan was saying about this game. Oddly enough, 
the collectible the collecting it here bothered me less because it was worse i didn't really think that that they were very interesting to find so as a result i did not find myself motivated to seek them out and they did not interrupt the story as much as in batman because it gave me something else that was fun to do mm. if that makes sense to you guys yeah i understand what you're saying um yeah see the thing kind of like what you said jeff the the collectibles didn't bother me that much here because i had no real desire to get them because, uh, you know, basically what the collectibles are here is money to buy stuff in the, uh, it's kind of like a cheats menu, an unlockables menu. You can unlock uh, was it concept art, videos. There's a few uh, cheat type things that you can unlock. Um, there's nothing, in, it's not like you're getting upgrades for Drake, which is how it is in Batman where you get upgrades for your character. There's no real, uh, there's, no re there's no real advantage, say, to collecting all these items uh, in the game, these, these little monies that are hidden around. And they're hidden... Um, I wouldn't say, uh, you know, very creatively. There's not like a secret room or anything that you have to push something to get to to get these collectibles. They're kind of just behind the table that you wouldn't really look behind unless you specifically were looking for these treasures. Um, and there's a hundred of them, I think, in the game. So they're, they're pretty spread out um, across the eight or nine hour campaign. But um, I, I to, to go with what you were saying, Zan, I don't really think it pulled me out of it because I kind of just accept the fact that it is a game and they're going to put these things in here. And I understand what you're saying, how if you're, you know, if you're really trying to get into this universe as a believable thing, it would pull you out of it because it's just completely unrealistic. But also the, you know, the guns lying around too would also kind of be that as well because there's literally guns everywhere on every table, chair, underneath everything. I mean, there's guns in every corner of this game. And in some of the environments it would make sense, but in like the ancient Mayan temples, it really wouldn't. Um, actually, so I don't really that that bother me as they, much. I was to say, they do actually explain that. <laughs> so maybe you've not got to sure. that point yet. Yeah, Because that, that is okay. explained. There's a point where I was thinking, well, why would these be everywhere? Uh, and then you get to a point where you go, ah, that's why they're everywhere. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, it, it, it didn't bother me as much because I just accept that the game is going to put these types of things in here because it is a video game. And, and you know, to put a little extra layer on top for the people that want the collectibles or the trophies, for that matter, um, they have that little thing. But I haven't really bothered myself to get them because I didn't really see the, the point to it all. I'm just kind of hoping that we kind of evolve past this 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 need to put collectibles and everything. Uh, I can mm. understand from re a replay value point of view and for people who are, you know, collecting achievements or trophies, and I'm all for that, you know. Well, you know, it's a simple thing to add to a game. Um, and, you know, uh, there's been plenty of games where I've enjoyed going back and getting getting them, you know, Crackdown being the, the famous example. But sure. um, but I just felt in this game, because the environments are so real, because it's it's really all about the journey, this game, that's, that's what you enjoy the most. It's going from the beginning to the end and enjoying the ride that to sort of stop and I know you, you, you can largely ignore them and I, I kind of did but occasionally you see one you think oh I'll go over and get it and you pick it up and, you, sure. and that's when it would annoy me because I think well why would this be here <laughs> who would leave this here you know and and at that point I start thinking oh you know I wish they didn't do that and mm. I think they could you know like I said some some games have done that I think the not Tomb Raider Anniversary the one before it was it Tomb Raider Legend that kind of mm. did that because some of the collectibles were only available when you did the replays didn't get them when you played it through on the, sure. on the story and I just wish they'd done something similar um, just so that I didn't feel the need to you know if I see something glinting over there 
to then spend the next five minutes trotting over there only to find it's a cup. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a shame, really. But um, and, and I kind of agree with with Jeffrey's points on other games as well. I've not played Batman yet; it's next next on my list. But um, I, collectibles is a is a strange thing because in some games they work so well, and in others it just doesn't work at all. And it's it's very often it's quite hard to quantify the reason for that. Jeff, did you have any particular pickings about some of the the things that annoyed you in the game? For the most part, I thought the pacing was really good. There was a part, probably about three quarters of the way through, uh, maybe, maybe even further than that, like 80%, where I, I felt like I was just going through a series of kill rooms for a little bit too long. There was one, there was one really big battle in the city. I'm sure you guys all know the one I'm, I'm talking about. And I thought that scene was really, really good. And when it was over, I kind of wanted, um, you know, a dispute from the action for a bit. And you get like a you know few minutes of, ma- of platforming maybe going to the next area, but largely the next area is just full of lots and lots of, of shooting for maybe just a tad too long, and maybe it was just the way that I was playing it. Maybe I just played uh, you know too long in one sitting at that point. Um, so there was that. The main thing is just the structure of the game. It's very interesting. It's it's very old-fashioned in just how linear the game is. There's, you know, you can kind of decide where to stand and and that sort of thing for the, the action, uh, you know, for the shooting elements. But there's a lot of scenes where you're basically, it almost is just an interactive movie. Like, a lot of the, the platforming sequences, there's only one way to go, and it's very easy. So you're basically just hitting buttons, you know, to, to help drive the story along. And the first game was like that too. It bothered me more in the first game. Here, I think they did a much better job at having you having make the player um, try and suss out how to get to the next area. But there are definitely times where it's a little bit too too scripted. And I've always been a big fan of exploration in games. So part of me feels like by having a game this streamlined, it's in a sense, not taking as great advantage of the medium as they could. But once I played this, I, I kind of felt like it, it functions very well just as, as a completely different type of story. I mean, I, I likened it to Kojima earlier, and I think that it's it's like it, like a new genre to itself of, of the movie game. It's very cinematic. It's not trying to be... Um, it's not as mechanics... I wouldn't say it's not as mechanics-driven, but it doesn't tell the story as much through mechanics as something's like, say, The Path or, you know, Passage, as you guys discussed on last week's show. Um, I mean, it is kind of... I wouldn't say it's a movie story streamlined into a video game, like the Ghostbusters example you used, but it's more like a TV show or a comic book. It has kind of its own its own pacing. Um, so you said the, the linearity did bother you a little bit. Not so much that it ruined the game for you, but just that you, you kind of like to explore a little bit more. Do you think that parts of this game should have been more open-worldish? Um, I believe so. I think that maybe they could have made it not an entire open world. I think that the, the combat stuff was good as is, but... Uh, I'm trying to... I, I, well, wh- one thing that may bother me a little is there are certain puzzle rooms in the game where I'll tell you to look in your journal, and usually the solution is very obvious, and there's this big journal icon, and I think it maybe would have been more interesting if the game didn't tell you when to use your journal, and you had to kind of, you know, maybe figure these out 
have maybe slightly more complex puzzles based on this. Uh, okay, here, here's a good example of what I mean by being a movie game. Like, it, it puts you in a, a room, it tells you it tells you to look in your journal, which on one hand it keeps the pacing going very quickly because, you know, if you're playing, say, Raiders of the Lost Ark game, when he gets to that place and he has to put the staff in place and have the sun shine through it, you don't want to get to that point and think that you're ill-equipped and wander around the world for an hour trying to figure out what to do. It does a good job of keeping you in the place where you need to be. But I think that, that, that sometimes there's maybe a little bit too much hand-holding um, in that regard. See, that's interesting because um, a sort of criticism I have um, is that uh, in some areas of the game, there's a complete lack of signposting and, and hand-holding. Mm. So a couple of the... I felt, as I said at the beginning, there's a couple of moments that I found particularly frustrating because I just couldn't work out what the hell I was supposed to do. And often mm. I got through it not because I worked out what I had to do, but for some reason the game... I don't know whether it just gave up on me and pushed me through or what, but it I never seemed to really resolve in my mind what I was supposed to be doing there. Um and I guess you, I, I tend to agree with you on the on the puzzles with the book. Having said that, that little book is brilliant because you can flick through and find loads of other kind of supplementary information on the characters yes. and stuff. So it's almost like the book is there to solve the puzzle on one hand, but it's also there to provide even more context and backstory on the characters. You know, you can flip through and find flowers that you gave Elena and things like that, which I thought was mm. was kind of cool. But um, yeah, I. I I think the thing to bear in mind is that with games like this is that it's important to for anyone who buys this game to finish the story and I know it has you know there's five different difficulty levels and I, I guess you guys did the same as me you played it on normal um, but mm -hmm. yes I do think that with games like this it's it's often more important that people can finish the game than it is to actually come up with really ingen you know it really difficult or challenging puzzles and really, the the challenge in this game is with the combat, and I and I can only imagine on higher difficulties it's going to be some of those areas are going to be an absolute nightmare. Uh, you can have to be you know quite strategic about how you approach them. So, I mean, it, the puzzle elements are there really to entertain in a kind of Professor Layton way, rather than than really challenge you because they don't want to stop you getting to the end. Um, but having said that, like I said there were one or two moments where I thought, well, what the hell am I supposed to do here? There's one minute in particular where there's, there's several sequences which are chase sequences, it's fair to say. Uh, and there was one where you're being chased through a town um, by something. <laughs> and um, you're constantly having to sort of duck and dive and turn left and jump here and go there. And it just reached a point where I just could not find where to go. I just couldn't work it out. And throughout the area there were doors everywhere. And most of the doors in the game are, are locked. You can't open them. And so because of that, you assume, oh, okay, well, none of these doors are going to open. So I was trying everything, and I was just constantly dying. And then as if by accident, I sort of wandered near one of the doors, and all of a sudden a cutscene came in, and he kicked the door open. I thought, oh, that's what I was supposed to do. Um, and in other games, what you generally find is there'll be, a, I don't know, a light swinging above the door, or, a, you know, a, there'll be some kind of visual cue that that's the door you need to go to. You know, it'll be lit differently or something or other. But there was quite a few occasions I found throughout the game where... That there wasn't any signposting as to what you were supposed to do next, and you ended up wandering around aimlessly, hoping that the little hint icon would come up to give you a clue as to what you're supposed to do. So, sure. it, it, you know, there's a bit of a dichotomy there. Some of the, you know, as Jeffrey says, the the hint book stuff, 
uh, perhaps held your hand a bit too much, but there were other bits where it didn't at all. As far as what I thought about the, the game, the only really, I wouldn't even call it a flaw, but the only thing that I think is interesting, and uh, Zan, I believe you played the, the multiplayer mode, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that the, the as we mentioned before, pretty much the entire single player, you're with a companion. Um, and I believe the cooperative mode in this game is not the actual campaign mission did something entirely different where it's like a side story type thing. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, it's... Um, okay, trying to give too much away. It's, uh, it, is, it takes place in exactly the same location as part of the story, mm -hmm. but you take a completely different route around and through the location in the co-op. Right. Um, and actually, when I think back to when I played it on single player, um, it should have been obvious to me at the time that <laughs> that area... Because there were lots of areas you think, well, how do you get there then? Why is that over there? You know, it's, and now I know it's because those areas are used for the co-op. Just on the co-op, there's two different co-op modes. There's one that's this single mission that I've seen so far, and I'm hoping they'll add more, um, which takes about an hour um, to, to complete. Mm. And that's more akin to, you know, doing um, maybe two, or probably one, actually, of the chapters with uh, with two partners. And, and you have the two ladies with you, basically. They're the, they're the other two characters. Mm. And then there's another cart mode, um, which is either you know the the what now seems to be uh, standard fare, which is the kind of uh, horde slash um, ODST style arena, you know, uh, survival sure. mode. And there's another one which Fire is really fight. good, which is which is basically capture the flag, but where you have to get this uh, treasure object um, from the, the middle of a map to your base um, against the loads of you know hordes of, of AI opponents. But what's really clever is that because the the map is multi-layered. You need teamwork to actually get it out of the, to get it up to where you need to get it to. So often the the treasury is at the bottom of the map, um, probably at the, at the lowest level. And so what you need is for one player to be at the bottom picking it up and throwing it up, and the other person to then catch it and then take it to the next point. So it, it, the actual levels are really cleverly designed to to force you to play as a team cooperatively. So it's, that's that's really good. Um, the actual multiplayer map, uh, levels themselves, I I didn't really enjoy them. The the only one I liked was one called Eliminating, which is basically um, one shot kill, um, one team against another, and I, I found that to be mm. really good. Um, but the the others were just the usual, you know, third person uh, multiplayer fare. They they're basically just the, the, it's like playing Gears of War two effectively. And the mm. problem I had around with it was that when I was playing it, there were uh, I think there were three Chloe's, two Elena's, and two Drakes running around, and that kind of ruins it for me because it, it's just well, it's not canon, is it? So the important question is, can you be Sully? Uh, you can be Sully, but I think you've got to get up to oh, level twenty, I believe, to unlock his, his ah. skin, which is really annoying. Yeah, because all the good characters who I'd want to pick, uh, you have to get up to quite high levels. But if you play co-op, it, it, it ranks you up really quickly. Um, That's good. Yeah. It, it, didn't, it's okay, but it's it's nothing special. Um, but sure. um, I, I've got a feeling on the PlayStation 3, much like Gears of War 2 on the Xbox, that it will be up there in the most played game, simply because everyone's going to have it. Sony obviously setting this one out as their big fall game this year. I, even the biggest game of this year, except maybe to Killzone. Um, do you guys think that this is really going to be the driving success that they need to make the PS3 the number one seller for this holiday? I think the driving success is the PS3 Slim at 299, but this sure. is a really big, you know, I, I think it was one of the best games of the year, you know, possibly game of the year, and I, I think that 
releasing this so soon after the price drop is a very good move for them. Um, in the European market, probably not, but the, the PS3 is selling by the ton at the moment because of FIFA. Mm. Um, I mean, my, my brother, who's not really a, a great gamer, he's just bought a PS3. Um, simply for FIFA and and on our TV and on our um, all of our um, football soccer <laughs> coverage, right. uh, particularly the European football, um, is plastered with FIFA adverts and all the FIFA adverts are co-branded PlayStation Three. So, um, <laughs> y- if you didn't know any better, you'd think that FIFA was only available on the PS3, and it's been top of the right. European sales charts now for about three weeks in a row. The study in the US, they basically asked consumers. Um, what they thought about certain game properties and which one they were likely to buy. And of course, you know, Call of Duty was number one and, uh, you know, Gears was, uh, I'm sorry, Halo was up there and uh, all the big games were up there pretty much. But Uncharted 2 didn't even place within the top 25. And this was done about two months ago. So this was pretty much right after they had shown off all that really impressive stuff at E3 and, you know, all the other shows. Um, I think it's, you know, the original one uh, in the U.S. sold a bit over a million, but it wasn't the breakout success that something like Gears of War was, for example. Not a lot of but people of had PS3s. Then, then. I was going to say, a lot of back then, not many people had PS3, so it was a bit different. Um, I don't know. I, I really hope this one sells like it should, because this thing deserves to be the three, four million seller that you know other games of its type have, have done, but I don't really think it's going to hit that level in the U.S., because... You know, as much as people like, you know, myself and Jeff and, and Zan wanted this game, I don't think the general consumer really knows what the hell it is. No, definitely not. And as I said, um, my brother's a good example of that because he's not doesn't really follow, um, you know, gaming press or anything like that. And mm. uh, it's his birthday week before mine is recently, and he was he was getting a PS3, and then so you know, I said to him, okay, what games do you want? And he just said, FIFA and Call of Duty. Mm. So uh, I, I've got a horrible feeling that when Call of Duty Sorry, Modern Warfare Two <laughs> comes out that it will just uh, destroy Uncharted 2's momentum. Um, so it's really got to make it's got to make hay while the sun shines. Really, it's got to it's it's got to uh, it's got to get most of its sales in before that comes out. Because I, I fear even even on the PS3 that uh, that that's going to just outsell everything. And um, and even Assassin's, Assassin's Creed Two comes out in about two weeks, and that's going to take I, a huge chunk out of this game as well. I, I don't think Assassin's 2 is going to be uh, huge, well, for me, I don't think it's going to be a huge seller. It doesn't seem to, well, certainly I've not noticed a huge amount of hype behind it like there was last time. And um, a lot of people who bought it, myself included, I'm not that fussed about Assassin's Creed 2 because mm. I didn't really enjoy Assassin's Creed 1. So sure. we'll see. But I think that, that like Assassin's Creed 2 did make that chart that Uncharted didn't in the U.S. I think over here, at least, there is a bit more hype towards that game than there was towards this one. And I think Sony's ads, um, while clever about you know the girlfriend not realizing that the boyfriend was playing a game, I think that that's not really the kind of advertising that you need to make to get the 18 to 24-year-old U.S. male into this game, which, you know, that's pretty much what Modern Warfare 2 will be aimed at. And I think that that is a, you know, Sony marketing has always kind of had a problem with certain things and I think that they're not really doing a great job with this game at this point in time. There's a little something for everyone. Serious analysis from Big Red Potion to the firm but well-informed GamerDork UK. 
game adult, game adult, game adult, game adult. Find like minded comment. Keep your hobby alive. Gaming bugs to help keep your hobby alive. It's one of the best and friendliest communities on the internet. And if you want to have a mature game, find like minded comment. I don't want to go into Game of the Year talk or anything like that because we're going to do that soon enough, but ha- would you guys recommend Uncharted 2 to a PlayStation 3 owner? Let's put it that way. Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> I, I would recommend it to any gamer, basically, <laughs> you know, whether you've got a play, PlayStation 3 or not. I think it's, uh, you know, we there's been, over the last sort of two years, there's been much talk about what would be the PlayStation three's uh you know killer app the thing that would make it sell and sad as it in europe it's had to, had to have been a football game to do it but I, to, to be honest with you in terms of quality i think Un- uncharted 2 is, is the one that deserves the accolade sure. because uh, it, it it can only work on the playstation 3 it's quite clear that the you know the capacity of the blu-ray drive and everything have a massive influence over how this game looks and plays uh this game couldn't appear on any other platform so for that reason it's a must well there you have it i can't really think of a better way to put that out there than that all right so uh i'd like to thank you guys for coming on the show we should wrap this up um see if you guys have any plugs or shout outs to wish sinan a speedy recovery from whatever nasty virus (laughs) you've managed to pick up so we all wish him a very speedy recovery and also a, a plug to Yuzan for the um, the uh, TGS replay shows that you do every month. I know that this month they're off, right? Uh, no, this month we have um, a special, actually. Yeah, this month, let me explain. <laughs> the <laughs> replay show is basically where we pick a game from very early in this console cycle, and we play it as a community, and then we have guests, you know, uh, community members come on and talk about their experiences. It's very similar to, to what's done in some other podcasts. Um, but because we're in the height of silly season, I didn't think it was right, really, to... To, in, to try to get people to play an old game when there's so many new games coming out. So Psychonauts was the game that we're playing this month and next month. Um, and this month we're actually having a special, which is a, a 16-bit retrospective. Um, so I've got a couple of guests. I've got a guest from the Super Happy Fun Dime show. So it was, Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I've also got a guest from Weeds, uh, Jack, who you've had on, mm-hmm. on this podcast Jack previously. Smith. Um, and we're really just going to talk about some classic 16-bit games from from that era that you can play today, so that are available on things like the Virtual Console and stuff. So that should be good, and we're recording that next week. Okay, great, and that'll be up at thegamerscene.com sometime next week, right? Uh, yeah, probably, yeah, probably Monday week or Tuesday week. Yeah. Jeff, what do you got? Okay, well, as always, you can find my stuff on uh, gamereviews.com. I just reviewed Brutal Legend the other week, so that's up there. Um, another news, I just got taken on as a freelancer for X-Play, and my first review for them is going to be Lucidity, and that review should be up any day now, hopefully. So just check that is X-Play's fantastic, site. sir. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. 